Welcome to the Inspired Living with Autoimmunity podcast, the podcast for high achievers who want to stay sharp, focused, and full of energy despite their diagnosis. With your host, National Board Certified Functional Medicine Health Coach, Julie Michelson, where Julie helps you take your power back from autoimmunity. And now here's your host, Julie Michelson. Welcome back to the Inspired Living with Autoimmunity podcast. I'm your host, Julie Michelson, and today I'm so excited to be joined by Dr. James Houghton. Thank you so much for joining us today. You bet, Julie. I always love to start off with a little icebreaker. So what is... (laughs) Don't be nervous. You get to choose your response. What is something that most people or maybe many people might not know about you. Just a little, a fun fact. Great. Instead of a medical question, huh? Yes. The, yeah, when they grew up in Colombia and South America, came to the States when I was 15. Most people don't know that. So I would imagine most people don't. Sometimes they pick up in a little accent or something, but they can't usually place where it comes from. I actually had that experience when I first met you. Yeah. So <laughs> that is a good one. Many of the guests that I have on the podcast have their own personal health journey that's led them to the functional Mm. medicine world. And I know that that's not the case for you. So tell us a little bit about how you went from a traditional Western family medicine practice to practicing functional medicine. Um, Maybe I was curious. The the whole traditional season was a great season and I was privileged to be in a small town and Got to do the whole cradle the grave thing from delivering babies to cover in the ER, uh, taking care of grandma in the nursing home. And so that I loved it. It was a fun time. But over time, medicine started becoming about productivity and I would round on people before family would get there in the morning. And, you know, you started getting pushed uh, 10 minute visits. And, and at some point it hit me like, you know, I, I was handing out prescriptions all day long and started feeling like, you know, people would ask me, how can I be healthier? How can I improve my health? I was like, I don't know that I'm, I had a whole lot to offer them. I could patch up things well. And, and the acute care part of medicine was great, but it was sort of kind of a little coming to sort of midlife thing of, Hey, is this really what I signed up for? And, and um, so that started a journey of looking for better ways of doing things and, and being open-minded. And when people would come in and say, Hey, what about salt palmetto for my prostate? I would say, well, let's try it and remeasure levels in you know a few weeks. And and the more I did that, the more I started seeing that hey, there there are things outside of my conventional toolbox that actually worked, and that made me more curious. And you know, just kind of propelled it. Once you once you get hooked on that root cause approach, it's kind of hard to go back. That is very very true. I know from your bio that you started working with bioidentical hormones back in the mid nineties. Is that Mm -hmm. accurate? That seems early to me as far as, you know, it seems like you were maybe a little bit ahead of the curve. You know, how did that play in? Yeah. Yeah. How how did that happen? How do you all of a sudden become one of the early adopters or something like that? It was, it was maybe that sort of mindset and maybe it ties to the whole thing of growing up in another country and seeing that there's more one, more than one way of doing things and, and, you know, kind of being that never fitting in one world. And and so, you know, when I think I came across an article one time on depression and men 
and, and testosterone levels. And, and I remember pulling the charts of guys that I had on SSRIs and, and looking at hormone levels. And lo and behold, there was a good number of people that were, had really hormonal issues. And when you address them, they were able to get off their medications. And so it made me curious about hormones. And at the time, A4M was sort of a fairly new group and went to some other courses and, you know, it started, it made sense that, you know, the prescriptions that I was writing for Premarin and those types of hormones, that, that didn't make as much sense as the bioidentical hormones that our body was making ever since we were teenagers. And so it just propelled the transition. And the more I played with it, the more, you know, the better people did. And, you know, it just, again, it's hard to look back from there. There's so much in there that I want to unpack. I want to circle back to what are bioidentical hormones and what is the difference? You mentioned Premarin, mm-hmm. but before I do that, share with our listeners, you know, obviously my focus is autoimmunity. Mm-hmm. Why am I having you on talking about hormones? What is this connection between what, you know, why should they care? Why, sure. why are their hormones important? And, and cause I'm going to give you a lot of things to talk <laughs> about. And, and what hormones are you talking about? I know you mentioned testosterone in sure. men, you know, maybe some of us have different ideas when we hear hormones, mm-hmm. of exactly what you're talking about. You know, hormones are, are kind of one of those things, you know, it, by no means am I saying that they're the thing with autoimmunity, but you know, we've, in a functional medicine model, we still look at all the things that we look at, right. From gut health, to food sensitivities, to toxins, the mindset, to, and all those things that, that play into it, but hormones are often kind of ignored. And, and so when you ask me about, Hey, what, what, what you contribute, you know, the, the thought with hormones is, Hey, it's something that commonly, and we'll get into into it. Tom commonly gets ignored and, and commonly gets blamed on other things and, and just not addressed properly. And, and I find that it makes a huge difference when we're treating autoimmunity. I, I definitely agree, having had my own personal experiences with hormones and autoimmunity, but also I see to my clients all the time, they doctor after doctor can't connect the dots for them, where they mm-hmm. always say, you know, the week around my cycle, mm-hmm. my pain is worse. My inf- They know, like they mm-hmm. can tell they feel worse. There's a connection. And so often, totally. you know, they're, they're not addressed as, as you said, and I do think it is the missing piece or a, a missing piece. I know we talk about all the time, you know, I talk about all the time, you know, nutrition and diet and detox and stress management and sleep and move the proper movement levels. But so many, and those are things that almost everybody talks about if they're taking, mm-hmm. you know, a whole health approach to autoimmunity, mm-hmm. but not necessarily hormones. True, true. And so following up on your, what is a bioidentical hormone? Mm-hmm. I remember with residents when they would rotate through is it's, it's the idea, it's the idea of it's the same molecule that our bodies make, you know? And so use the example of Premarin, Premarin comes from pregnant Mary urine. So it's a bioidentical hormone for horses, you know, but we still use it. You know, it's and still widely used in America. Premarin is for those that don't know. A it's a, it's an estrogen. It's a prescription estrogen that gets used for menopause symptoms, you know, and made from horses and is made from horse pee, you know, calf, catheterized horses sitting there in a, you know, and, and they're distilling and extracting their estrogen out of their urine. And so that's not a bioidentical hormone. In the old days, we would use pig insulin for diabetics and it would save people's lives. And it was wonderful. Right. 
And then when labs could synthesize a bioidentical human insulin, then, hey, nobody would dream of using pig insulin anymore. <laughs> Why would this you point, still right? use that? Right. Um, so it's fascinating with sex hormones that we still have a number of hormones being used for men and women that don't look at all like our natural hormones. And so the first step is, hey, we're talking about bioidentical, not just hormones, any hormone out there. And you mentioned sex hormones specifically, but I know, especially with autoimmunity, there's some other hormones that, you know, I know, I know personally, because full disclosure, Dr. Houghton is my doctor. So I know what you look for. I know what you look at and, and how you address those issues. But m- more commonly, I think if somebody with autoimmunity is to get a smaller panel, they, they're hopefully, although if it's not a functional medicine panel, even something like thyroid might not be complete. fully yeah, complete. I know you cover that in a lot with people. But so when I think of hormones, I like the concept of a symphony. And so in that symphony, I think of sex hormones as in different, in there's two, three estrogens that we have in our body. There's progesterone, testosterone. Those are the kind of the, the three biggies. We think of adrenal hormones like cortisol and DHEA. We think of hormones like pregnenolone. We think of thyroid hormones like, you know, free T4, free T3, TSH, thyroid antibodies. And then we think of neurotransmitters, which all kind of symptoms of all of those sort of overlap. And and I tell people, many people that come into the office have, oh, I read about adrenals or I read about X, Y, and Z, and they did the right things. And and I tell them, it's kind of like taking a symphony and fine tuning the strings perfectly, did the right thing. But if you ignore percussion or other parts of the symphony, the music may still sound crappy. And so that sort you of still feel yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> and people think oh crap I, I didn't do the right thing and then they move on to the next thing the next book the next specialist that does thyroid or and they do all the right things for thyroid but if they're ignoring adrenals they still don't function optimally and so the the whole point with the functional medicine approach is we want to address the whole symphony well you know i love that i think it's the only way to do it to do it it's the right way to do it so I, I brought up this idea of, you know, I see all the time mm-hmm. that, that as especially women, as their hormones fluctuate, mm-hmm. their symptoms you know, will change as well. Let's talk a little bit about at what point do you believe somebody should even get their hormones checked? Yeah, yeah that's great. It, it, part of our basic panels, whether someone's a teenager or 80 year old grandma, it always includes all those hormones we talked about. And, and it's fascinating because the more you look at things, the more, you, more data you get, the more patterns you see, the, the more you see that, oh, interesting, when you improve hormones, their cholesterol goes down, goes down et cetera. So it's, it's fun to, to not be, if, if we go to a functional medicine approach, we don't want to go back to that symptom-driven and only check the labs for something that has an obvious symptom associated with it. So we look at them from the start on and and, and don't discriminate sort of based on age and make the focus, hey, are they optimal for, or are they conducive to optimal health, whether someone's a teenager or whether they're late in life? Thank you for that explanation, because I think so often we wait until we can't tolerate symptoms mm-hmm. and even check. Mm-hmm. And so this idea of, you know, well, why not a young girl, which leads me mm. to 
this idea of we, I talk about a lot with different guests about how we all normalize our symptoms right. or, you know, whether it's, and it doesn't have to be autoimmunity, even just, you know, well, I'm getting older, you know, right. I should hurt. I should be tired. No, no, no. And I know you have an anti-aging focus in your practice, but what is normal? Mm-hmm. You use the word optimal. And so let's kind of, you know, okay, get good. into normal, normal ranges, labs, mm-hmm. normal symptoms. As a, a woman, no, <laughs> you know, I was certainly taught that certain things are to be expected and there's discomforts with just being a woman. Yeah. But, no, yeah. So it'd be amazed how many ladies, if, if you ask the question, any issues with, with cycles or hormones? No, I'm normal, right? And and then you ask that 40-year-old, any PMS or breast tenderness or water retention or craving or headaches that, that are cyclical? Oh, yeah, you know, but I've had that all my life. And and so so there's a tendency that if that's been a pattern from early on, that it, that it becomes, like you said, normalized. And so people don't address it. And, and they're walking around a good chunk of, you know, it's such a waste when you think of why have three, four days that are crappy days out of the month, you know, and add that over a lifetime or adulthood, that's a waste. And, and it's something that can be addressed. Your normals are, or it's an interesting concept because lab normals are bell curves of a population at large. And so, so a lab will take all the numbers that are coming in and do a statistical and, and we see the numbers sort of shift, you know, depending on on what's coming in through the door. One of our labs that we work with, it was funny, last year, the normal range for a postmenopausal woman testosterone went from four to 82 to like four to 312 because there's more women that are postmenopausal that are using testosterone. And so it's become sort of a thing and, and it literally shifted the normal range by several fold, which is crazy when you think about it. So if we, if we think of that's what normal is, and if you come in through the door and you're within that bell curve, you may be told you're normal, you're fine. You know, it's not your hormones. And, and if you accept that for an answer, then you may not be well served. You, know, you may not be addressing the issues. Does that make sense? And so, so when I think of optimal, then we go, okay, you know, yeah, this person may be within the bell curve, but are they, are those levels optimal for them? If, if that lady is having PMS and breast tenderness and and water retention, and she's not feeling well, that ratio is not optimal for her, even though she may be in that bell curve. I love that. So again, being one of your patients and being a woman in her fifties, I I know this is a a question I've asked you before, and I want the listeners to, to know anybody who, you know, Here's this and ends up wanting to investigate their hormones. When you're looking for a doc to support you with hormone health, mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. how you approach it. And, sure. and to me, that's then you just touched on it. So I was going to wait until the end to, to ask this, but I'm going to ask it now instead. You know, h- how do we determine? I know from personal history that there almost everybody is quote unquote, practicing hormones now. And it's not necessarily with that optimal approach that that you sure. take. So what I hear you say, but I, I want the listeners to yeah. really know is there's, you know, this, yes, you, you look at the labs to see what's going on, but it, you take symptoms into account. You actually talk to your patients and listen to how they feel and what's going on. 
Yeah, and and and, and it's a tough thing to answer, right? It's like how do you sift through? Because there, there's personality there. You know, you may click with a certain provider and work wonderfully, whereas another person may not. One of the challenges sometimes the functional medicine world is beautifully inclusive, right? So we have all these practitioners from different disciplines, from chiropractors to naturopaths, to MDs, DOs, et cetera, that, that you know, coaches, and we're all doing functional medicine. And, and so I, I guess one of the things to look for is, hey, it, a, a hormone, if it's going to be used at a therapeutic dose for someone who's perimenopausal, postmenopausal, in this country is a prescription. And so someone may do wonderful in terms of guiding and how to optimize hormones better. If they can't write a prescription for a hormone, then it's going to be hard for that person to truly kind of potentially help somebody. On the other hand, you know, dietary changes and lifestyle changes can, can influence hormones greatly. And so I'm not the one at discounted, but if someone asked me, how do I, how do I go to another city and find somebody? I would go, okay, find somebody who can write a script. Maybe ask the question to the offices, is the physician willing to address my hormones based on how I feel, based on symptoms? If they're mentally limited to, no, I'm only going to address it if it's in the bell curve or out of the bell curve, then then again, it's going to be limited, right? Because once you're, quote, normal, then, you know, you're stuck. And so that that concept of are they willing to listen and, and are they willing to kind of take symptoms, you know, there, there are hormone panels out there that look at, say, saliva hormones, you know, every day or every other day for a month. And you look at some of those graphs and you go, crap, it, it looks like a stock market graph with ups <laughs> and downs. And, and, and it makes you realize, shoot, if they come in and did a blood test or a saliva panel or a urine panel, that one day, you know, it may look totally different than it's two days later. Right? Yeah. So it, it's a matter of weighing evidence, right? What that person is experiencing day in and day out, month in, month out carries more weight than, than a one-time measurement. It's just, you know, it's just weighing evidence. And so, so it's not like ignoring science. It's just actually listening to, to people and, and, you know, addressing it. And the, the beauty with some of the symptoms is that they're very tangible. If someone is estrogen dominant and you add a little progesterone the week before her cycle and she has lighter cycles and she's not PMSy and she's not retaining water and her headaches and cravings are better, it, you know it worked, right? And you can always look at the levels, but but it's how that person responds that makes the, you know, to me, carries the, the biggest evidence. So, I Thank you. Okay. Yes, that is exactly where I was going with that. And, and just to really just drive it home, because I did, as you know, see a physician who has hormone specialists on her website who is an MD, so she can write prescriptions, sure. but her yeah. treatment approach is just completely different. And, and I think that's another piece is the fact that you are focused on optimized health and longevity mm. and not just, you know, so I'm postmenopausal and I had a hysterectomy a year and a half ago. And so according to some approaches, there's certain certain hormones I just don't need anymore. Right. And so this is, it's a yeah. very different approach than that optimal health, right? You know, that's kind of a pet peeve of mine that you, you know, <laughs> it, because traditionally women who've had a hysterectomy, if they get estrogens, they usually don't get progesterone because the right. mindset is, hey, you don't have a uterus to protect anymore, so so you don't need it, right? So, but by doing that, even if we give that woman a bioidentical hormone, 
if we make that woman estrogen dominant, we're going to increase her risk of breast cancer. We're going to make her gain weight for sure. We're going to just create an imbalance. And, and it's like, there's a lot more to, to you than just the uterus, you know, it's, there's hormone receptors and brain and heart. And, and, and so it's just one of those things that it's, it's a kind of crazy mindset that, and, and it's a common it's thing. It's a common, there's yeah. Lots of ladies out there on estrogen and no progesterone if they've had a hysterectomy. Yeah, which leads us so beautifully into, you mentioned estrogen dominance a couple of times. And you also mentioned that there's different kinds of estrogens that we have. So how can somebody, again, like looking at that test and here's where I fall Mm -hmm. into this category, probably had I looked at hormones in my 20s, probably in my 20s as well. But I never had high estrogen, mm-hmm. but I, I have been estrogen dominant. So mm-hmm. explain what that is and maybe tie for us mm-hmm. to it. And I could be wrong to try to tie this together. But to me, I, I think of estrogen dominance as at least inflammation provoking, maybe not causing, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Um, so let's dig into yeah. that a little yeah. bit. There's something about the whole balance thing and, and, and maybe backing up, if I think of autoimmunity, right? It, it's our immune system needs, it has this huge tall order where it needs to attack self sometimes, right? You can't fight a cancer. You can't identify an abnormal cell and deal with it unless your body is willing to turn against self. So, so we need to do that. If, if we don't, we, we're screwed in one end. That's, right. And, and on the other hand, you know, think of pregnancy as a, you know, if a woman has a foreign person living inside of her and somehow her immune system needs to know I'd leave baby alone. But yet if she has a little normal cell in her skin or colon that I can attack. So there are things that upregulate and downregulate immune system and hormones somehow play a role. And I, and I, so going back to estrogen dominance, if, if you give somebody who has a uterus, just estrogen, or if she has more estrogen than progesterone, she overstimulates the endometrium. It gets thicker, her periods get heavier, more crampy, painful. She develops fibroids. She has fibrocystic breasts. She, she gains weight easier, and and you know weight triggers inflammation. That that thickened endometrium is inflamed and and can become endometrial cancer. So there's something overstimulating about the state of unopposed or estrogen excess or imbalance estrogen and progesterone levels. And that I, I guess is where I tie that in as a very lay mm-hmm. person to, you know, when I talk about, well, my, my clients are always saying their symptoms are worse yeah. the week before their yeah, period because their estrogen is higher yeah. as, as it should be, hopefully with progesterone also increasing to yeah. create that balance that you were talking about. And so that's kind of where my brain goes yeah. when I, when I think of, you know, how is this inflammatory and, and mm-hmm. why, and yes, we need estrogen. We were, I keep talking about women and, and cycles, but I have seen also in male clients and I know mm-hmm. male patients of yours that, mm-hmm. you know, with either autoimmune expression or autoimmune markers that they too are estrogen mm-hmm. dominant. Yeah, so what's going on? Why, yeah. why are men becoming it, you know, estrogen that, dominant? <laughs> That's a, there's a whole big debate. <laughs> it's, a whole other, right? it's a whole other podcast. Um, but I mean, we we do have this pattern. If we look at data from military recruits and testosterone levels over the last few decades, I look at my practice. It was unheard of, of seeing a, a 20-something-year-old with low testosterone. Or, But now it's like, 
we do. We have an enzyme called aromatase enzyme that converts testosterone into estrogen. And that enzyme is more active in visceral fat. And so when a guy puts on some weight, that extra fat starts converting testosterone into estrogen and that estrogen encourages more fat. And, and so we, we too can develop that sort of vicious cycle of what's going on with hormones. The same estrogen, you know, makes prostate swell, the same estrogen affects mood. And, you know, so, so as a, as a male, we want to look and go, Hey, are those ratios optimal again? So just to, you know, circle back, it's not just women's health. It's, no, no. You know, I mean, it, we all need our hormones. Checked. Yes, I agree. But, <laughs> but, you know, you and I have talked about the idea that there are more, there, you know, we see more autoimmune expression in women, right? And you're, you're more elegant in terms of what hormones are doing, right? I mean, you're the one that ends up carrying, carrying a baby to, to term. And so, so in the male, we're kind of simple. We have certain hormones that don't fluctuate a whole lot. And, and uh, so we guys are kind of clueless and kind of, you know, sort of unconnected to hormones. And a guy doesn't come in the office saying my hormones are changing. A female <laughs> does, but, but because- Or a guy comes in and says, my wife's hormones are changing. <laughs> True. <laughs> but, but there's something because you have the, the, the cycles, the ability to carry a, a pregnancy to term and, and all those things that are changing, there's more potential for dysregulation. And, and I think that's kind of part of that connection as to, hey, why is there more autoimmune issues in, in women? And you and I have talked about this idea of if, if we're going for optimal, right, then it's the question of, do you feel the way you want to feel? That's often something I ask people. Because they go, you know, I can ask, you know, how are you? How are your hormones? People often go, fine. <laughs> you know, it's better than they used to be. But is it, do you feel the way you want to feel? And, you know, it's kind of interesting when you kind of have that mindset again, that all of a you sudden. Where I'm you're going yeah, next. <laughs> all of a sudden you, you're paying attention and, and you're addressing things. And, and it's, it can be life-changing if you, if you, if you just accept it and go, oh, this is just part of it. Think of how many women have been told that, that's just the way it is, right? And so, so then you're kind of in this pattern of, I feel shitty, I'm sorry. And, and, but I'm powerless, you know, because that's just the way it is. It's about the way it's supposed to be. And so it's hard to, if that's where you're coming from, it's hard to, okay, now you get a diagnosis of autoimmunity. It's like, oh, one more, one more shitty thing I've got to endure. Right. And, and so there's something beautiful about that journey when someone starts addressing hormones and, and they, the beauty with hormones is typically you respond fairly quickly, right? It's something you can change and sometimes see a change within days. And it kind of clicks something in people's brain that, oh, you know, I can kind of reclaim back my health, my, my power, my, I can feel better. And maybe that's why, you know, you know, I love dealing with hormones because it's something you change, you see results fairly quickly and that becomes a catalyst to making lifestyle changes, to eating differently, to addressing sleep, to looking for toxins and all the other things that we do that maybe take a little longer. And, you know, sometimes the payback comes a little later, but. Well, and you know, that, that, you know, this idea of taking our power back is a passion of mine mm. as somebody who stayed way too long in that mindset of, Oh, this, this just it. It's like, this sucks. These are the cards I'm dealt. And, mm. you know, I'm going to decline. I say all the time, well, they told me I would, I believed it. Shocker. I did, mm -hmm. you know, that yeah. the mindset is so beyond important. And, and so I love that idea of there is nothing that drives lifestyle change better than no, noticing something working. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And like you, you said, action it, it really can take, you know, I, I tell my clients, 
you didn't get this sick in a day. You're not going to mm-hmm. feel amazing tomorrow just because you've changed your diet today or, you know, but you're right. I, the, it's almost a, a shortcut to that energy and power mm-hmm. and mindset shift of like, oh, I did something. If this can change, mm-hmm. what else can change? Yeah. And I want to tie that to, you said it, but I, I want to make sure the listeners really heard. This isn't just about autoimmunity. This is health in general. I say women's health. I'm sure there are men that could feel so much better if their hormones were optimized and, and, and don't know. So they get just as stuck. You may say they're not as in touch with it, or maybe yeah. it's not, you know, changing cyclically like a, like a woman's hormone pattern would, but that power can be, and, and I've seen it with young women, college age women that mm-hmm. again, were you know, struggling, but normalizing the fact that they were losing four days a month Mm -hmm. of productivity, socializing, all the good things. And so it makes me excited when I see, you know, a 19 year old get a hormone panel. It's true. Right. And so she doesn't have to take decades and figure it out in her forties or her fifties because she finally found a doctor who looked or listened. So it is that power. She will probably also never accept certain decline mm-hmm. because she was given a diagnosis because she's already connected those dots. So I love gotcha. that idea of, I think hormones are one of those things I have been known, you know, to try to get answers for people quickly. And, and I know <laughs> you're very methodical uh-huh. as far as, you know, there's so many rocks to look under and so many areas to address, but you have just motivated me in the, this idea of, well, if we make sure hormones are dialed in first, you know, you're, it's like a gift, right? You're just giving mm. that mm-hmm. little piece of power that's so quick mm-hmm. to reclaim. And maybe it's, it's just like a what, a trick of the trade. It, it, I don't, it's not that I, all the other things that are part of it are hugely important. And, sure. and it's like that symphony, right? You can't just do one and ignore the others, but you're totally right. If, if we pick some things where we make a change and we experience results, you kind of get that buy-in as, as, as a doc, you know, if you see sure. someone you've never known, they pour out their heart yeah. and then you make a change. And next time they come in, they're like, Oh my God, you know, first time I've had a good cycle and they're kind of, now they're going to listen more to some of the other <laughs> recommendations. Doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and so it is kind of one of those things that, that it, it's, it's kind of fun and wonderful when, when it gets addressed properly. The other thing that we didn't hit on a little bit with you use the word decline, and it made me think of, you know, once you go, once you become postmenopausal, right? Or, and, or once yeah. you go through andropause, <laughs> uh, the traditional medical mindset is like, hey, we may use hormones to get somebody through the change, but then we stop them because they're bad for you. They may give you breast cancer. And, and I always explain to people, hormones do not cause, you know, breast cancer. The breasts are responsive to hormones like estrogen, right? If you lather me with estrogen, I would grow man boobs is what I tell people. So we don't want someone estrogen dominant because that would increase the risk of breast cancer. But people get more cancers as they age, whether it's colon cancer or skin cancer or breast cancer. So you can't ever tell somebody that if they're on hormones that they won't get a breast cancer. But we know that when people are optimized and they're balanced and they have the right ratios, that statistically they don't have a higher risk. And in fact, they're, they're better off than the people who are not doing anything. That lady who's postmenopausal, who's got some visceral fat, who's making an inflammatory estrone and doesn't have any progesterone because her ovaries can make it, 
she's at a much higher risk of breast cancer than someone who's who has balanced hormones. But tying into the decline, you know, if we just tough it out and, and don't address the hormones, what happens predictably? You know, we start losing bone density, our collagen goes to poop, you know, you have vaginal dryness and bladder issues and foggy brain and poor sleep. And people tend to think, oh, that's part of aging. Here's a sleeping pill, you know, here's an antidepressant, here's, you know, Fossil Max for your bones. And, say, you know, and, and we start trying to treat all those things that are, they're not symptoms of aging, you know, because the same 80 year old, if all of a sudden we address her hormones, she, her vagina gets moist again and her bladder is better and she's not having as many UTIs and, you know, her bones actually start getting better and her collagen responds. And so, so it's that idea of, optimizing health all the way through. And if someone dies of old age and they're using hormones, but they're active and their brain is sharp and they're planning their next adventure, that's how it should be. Not, not in a nursing home, you know, decrepit and in diapers and senile. And so, so we want to think of hormones in that context of optimizing health, you know, for the long haul. And, and the beauty is somehow that, that magic helps with autoimmunity as well. I love that. And that is, that's that balance. It just, that's the theme I think is the balancing mm -hmm. of the hormones and, and that understanding the difference between certain, you know, the doctor that's going to say, you don't have a uterus, you don't need progesterone anymore. And somebody who is, I that, guess, that would be a good telltale sign. You know, someone says <laughs> that, you know, that the Probably not the right person. Yes, yes. I know you know this story, but when I when I had my hysterectomy last year, I was told, you know, ask the surgeon if they put an estrogen patch on you in the OR. And when I asked her, she said, Oh, are you already having hot flashes? And I said, No. And she said, Well, if you're if you're having symptoms, if you're uncomfortable when you come for your post-op, we can talk about estrogen. And and that's that red flag, different approach of why, I mean, we know now my body's not going to make it. Why would we wait until mm -hmm. I'm miserable mm -hmm. and, and then treat it and then treat it in an imbalanced way that's yeah. going to drive my inflammation. So balance is, is mm -hmm. what I hear. And when you think of, for me, you know, balance and healing autoimmune symptoms, I mean, it, it, it just mm -hmm. makes sense. So what do you say to, what if somebody, you know, maybe hasn't had issues with their cycle and they do have autoimmunity and they're, you know, maybe they're 50% better because they're working really hard doing the lifestyle things. I mean, are they somebody you would still, is it across the board? Does everybody, should everyone know, you know, what their levels are or, or if there's room to improve sure. with hormones? Sure. I, I, Part of it is sometimes we don't know what great is, right? And it's not, it's not just not normalizing sometimes. bad. But, I would say most people yeah. listening to this okay. probably have lost touch with what great feels like. Or if they're like I was, they think, well, that's just not for me. You know, yeah. that's not possible for yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's great to address things that are working, but it's interesting when we look at ourselves in any area of life and go, is that as good as it could be? And and again, there's that mindset. But but I, there are areas in my life that, that I've addressed, not because I felt bad, but then when I addressed them, I went, holy cow, I feel better. And and so if we keep that mindset, yes, that's the short answer. Is <laughs> I, I can't think of a reason why why you wouldn't why we wouldn't because it, 
in the doing so. It's, I don't know how many people I've seen run around with Hashimoto's who didn't come in because they had Hashimoto's, but we were just addressing hormones and we happen to look at thyroid antibodies anytime we do labs. And it's like, oh, look at this. You know, they're, they're smoldering away. They're asymptomatic. But by addressing them early, we have a much better chance of resolving and getting rid of the autoimmune issue. So, and so, yeah. It's a completely different mindset. Why don't you stop it before it starts? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, oh, no. and it's why I love functional medicine. Yeah. There, there are panels that we do that have anti-CCP3 antibodies and things like that, that are, that are kind of part of the panel. And, and it's interesting how many people have a viral infection or have COVID or whatever, and their anti-CCP3 antibodies go off the chart. They're not coming in with, you know, swollen joints and a, and a diagnosis of RA. Right. But if nothing changes, eventually they will develop it. And, and those are the people that if you can address their hormones, their vitamin D, their omegas, their whatever the case may be, and you can see those autoimmune issues, resolve it's kind of right. like hey you corrected an autoimmune issue before it developed into a which you know disease which is I love one of that. my favorite yeah. things i i love that as well i i always get excited when i see markers reverse mm-hmm. um i had the experience with one of your patients so i hadn't seen labs before we worked together and then i saw them once he made great changes and so i didn't even know he had autoimmune thyroid markers to begin with and to see them correct mm-hmm. you know always, i just get so excited it's you know it's fantastic one question i ask everybody as we get ready to wrap up is to it's not even a question i ask for a suggestion one small step something doable that Listeners can start tomorrow to just to optimize health since mm-hmm. we're talking about optimizing. So what's one thing that listeners okay. can do? I'm <laughs> in the spot there. I, I think the, the mindset thing to know, I mean, because the beauty with mindset is we can change it pretty quickly and it's like an aha type of deal. And so, and especially tying it to hormones is that mindset of, Am I, am I truly the way I want to be? Am I optimal? And if not, to just really have that light turn on and, and go figure it out, go go address it, measure levels, do what it takes to improve it. Because it, it will be life-changing if you just turn on that mindset and, and, and choose to address it. So. And one, one thing I usually ask guests that I didn't ask you directly, mm-hmm. although I'm pretty sure listeners could tell just from our conversation, but, you know, do, do you feel people can heal autoimmune symptoms? Can they, you know, turn things like that around? Absolutely. I, I mean, and just like we were saying, you know, we, we see it often and, and that's why I like the idea of tracking markers because not only, you know, it, it is, it is fun. It's fun to see them go away and it's fun to clinically see them be able to get off medications that they've been on sometimes for years not because the drugs are bad. I mean, the first one, it would start the drug if someone comes in in a flare, but it's not, you know, if you just stop, if you just think of, oh, they have it, here's the label, here's the drug, symptoms are okay, they're fine. No, you know, it, it's, the, it's back to that mindset. If we go at it with, not that drugs are bad, not that the Western conventional model is bad, it's just, it's insufficient for autoimmunity. And, and you know, if you keep addressing those root causes, and many times you use less and less of the meds and eventually many people don't need them. Uh, absolutely. I'm living proof of that. I thank you so much for all of the valuable information. People get your hormones checked, please get your hormones checked. And I love the, you know, the key takeaway aside from hormones or in addition to 
is, you know, we can heal in that mindset mm-hmm. is, you know, whether you are, you know, in the middle of a flare and just knowing that, that it can get better or whether you're already doing pretty well, are you, are you perfect? Are you as good as you could yeah. be? So I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Julie Michelson's Inspired Living with Autoimmunity. Did you enjoy this episode? Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to get a transcript of this and every other episode, just head on over to inspiredliving.show or click on the link in this episode's description. There, you can also find everything we discussed in this episode, including links and information about our guests. You can even send in your questions to be answered by Julie in a future episode. That's inspiredliving.show. Until next time, this is Julie Michelson's Inspired Living with Autoimmunity podcast, helping you take your power back.